Wonderful to be with you. Actually, when it's 130 in Texas, it makes evangelism easy. You just ask people, do you want to live like this for eternity? <laughs> and they go, no, is there an alternative? <laughs> anyway, it's been, been crazy with the floods and whatnot, but our lakes are full, and it looks like we won't have to ration water all summer, so there's a blessing in that. Young people, I have gotten to be with parents this weekend. I haven't gotten to be with you teenagers. And to be perfectly honest, I really wanted to be able to relate to the teenagers in this service. I wanted you to somehow identify with me. So I honestly thought between services, I really considered going backstage and putting on skinny jeans. I just thought that might help. <laughs> but if you've ever tried to pull skinny jeans over to pins, that is not so... <laughs> And the mothers are saying, I cannot believe that man said that in church. <laughs> well, since I couldn't get the skinny jeans, I'm just going to have to be me, but I hope there'll be something here that will be interesting and worth listening to. Uh, actually, all of us do a little bit better staying awake if there's a demonstration, something interesting going on. So what I want you to do is imagine that we started the sermon with a demonstration. Now, there's so many in this service that we would... I guess bump into each other, so I'm not going to actually ask you to stand up and do something, but I do want you to very concretely imagine that I ask everybody in the house to stand up, including the balcony, and I just ask balcony people come down the stairs on floor. What if I ask everyone to come to the front and choose a place to stand? Now, what I want you to imagine is if I, if I were coming to the front according to the plan that the tall man gives us, where exactly would I stand? So use your imagination and pick, pick your spot. Some of you could come to the front and you would stand here. This would be a group of people that would say, I am on my way toward God. Absolutely think somebody is out there. And I'm interested, I'm interested in that subject. In fact, I got myself up, I got dressed this morning, and uh, here I sit, just hoping to hear something interesting about, can you really know God? Now, if you came and stood here in that group, I bet you 10 or 15 people would come and hug your neck. They would say, I am so proud of you, so thankful for your intellectual honesty that you would be in a search to find God. So some of you would be standing here. Now, others of you would say, no, uh, that's not exactly where I would stand. I would probably stand here. By standing here, you would be saying, there was a day I was on my way toward God, trying to find out about him, and finally, somebody explained to me that God himself came to earth, died Jesus Christ on the cross, paid the price for my sins, and by faith, I received that as a gift, and my sins were forgiven. I came to know God. So not only do I believe he exists, I know him. But I'm standing here, and I'm not standing some other places because even though I know Jesus Christ, Son of God, even though I know him, the most important thing in my life is me. What's really on my mind mostly during the day is me, my life, my hard times, different things I have to get through, different struggles I have. That's really what's on my mind during the day. And you know... I don't know how these poor people get by. How on earth can you handle your difficulties if you don't know Jesus? So, of course, I'm always calling on him to help me out, 
get me out of a jam or a mess. So even though he is my helper, and even though I do depend on him for specific things, really, my preoccupation is me, my life, what I have to deal with. Now, some of you probably ought to stand about here. I'm just not sure that you would come there because the people that ought to stand there tend to be humble, so I don't even know if they would walk here. Maybe a friend would have to take them by the arm and say, you're going to stand. However they come, people standing here would say, there was a day in my life I was on my way toward God. Somebody explained that I could know him through believing in his son Jesus Christ died for my sins, and since the time I came to know him, I can't take credit for a single thing that's happened in my life. It is all the activity of God, but somehow the preoccupation of my life these days is Jesus. He's the one that is on my mind as I move through the day. And of course, I have problems just like everybody else, but even in my difficulties, what I'm really asking myself is, hmm, I wonder how Jesus is going to deepen me through this trial or hard time. I wonder how he's going to direct attention to himself through this struggle that I'm going through. Oh, I wonder how he's going to bring his kingdom down here on the earth through what I'm going through today. And for my family, it's exactly the same thing. You know, when my family's going through some difficulty, we just pull together. We're just sitting in the living room talking about, hmm, I wonder what Jesus is up to now. I wonder how he's going to be glorified as we go through this particular difficulty. So even in our family struggles, the conversation in our house still is focused on Jesus. Lost, convert, and then to use Jesus' favorite term, disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. Are you interested in solid research, good research? Now, there's plenty of goofy research, but are you interested in good research? I'll show you some. The solid research says, if I grow up 18 years in a home and my mom and dad do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, might be great people, strong work ethic, good moral people, but if they don't know Jesus, and I watch that for 18 years, statistically, the odds are I will spend my entire adult life lost. And the tragedy is a double tragedy because eventually mom and dad are going to get old and die, and they're going to go to a terrible place of torment, and then they have to sit and watch one by one each of those adult children come and join them in that place one generation tends to follow another generation. Statistically, if my mom and dad are disciples, in other words, they have normal jobs, normal lives, but the preoccupation of their lives is Jesus. He really is what's driving their lives. And even in the situations that they face, he tends to be the preoccupation even in the midst of different hardships and trials. If I watch that for 18 years, statistically, I will probably spend my entire adult life as a disciple. Let me give you an example. We've just come through spring break. Those 18 to 19-year-olds that grew up watching mom and dad who were disciples... In March, they were not watching for the next Budweiser poster that would show them which beach 
you can be falling down drunk on for five days and which beach will allow you to sleep with anybody that moves. Those students were looking for some ad or advertisement saying, hey, a bunch of us are going to fly down to Haiti and we're going to build an orphanage in one week. And those 19-year-olds thought, man, that sounds about twice as much fun to me as being drunk. And that's what they wanted to do. You know why? Because even as a 19-year-old, they're already starting to think like a disciple of Jesus. Now, there are exceptions. I can live in a home with lost mom and dad and do that for 18 years, and by a miracle of God, something happened that brings me into a relationship with Christ. Several of you are that miracle. But those folk are few and far between. Now, granted, you can grow up with two disciples as parents, and you can turn 18 or 19 and turn tail and live exactly in opposition to that. But those people are rare as well. Mostly, those 18-year-olds are going to follow parents to a place of torment eventually, or they're going to follow those parents into a lifestyle of living for Jesus. What about the converts? Converts have kids who become adults and they tend to live as if they were lost. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about lifestyle. If I grow up and in our house we go down to the church on Sunday and we know how to walk the walk, we know how to talk the talk, we know how to fit in, drink coffee with everybody else. We, we, we just do fine on Sunday. But I can tell as a child or a teenager, I can tell when we get home and those Bibles are put on the nightstand for the rest of the week, that is not what's driving our home. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in our house that's more exciting than church. It's trophies and club soccer and 50-yard line roses and a lot of other things that are a real, real big deal in our house, and it's not Jesus. If I watch that for 18 years, there is a religious profession on Sunday, but I don't really see that being the driving issue in our home during the week. It fries my wiring so much so that when I do get off at the big bad university and pressures are coming from me at me from everywhere, I don't have enough faith left to hold me, and pretty soon I'm living just like the law students. Now, I don't know. I can't read people's minds. But I do wonder if there might be somebody in the congregation this morning that's having a little conversation with me. Maybe thinking, Mr. Ross, to use your very silly example, I would be in the middle. And you know what? I'm perfectly fine with that. Now, I do come down to church on Sunday. Actually, a little easier to sell insurance when you're in church on Sunday. I'm here. My family wants me to be here. I'm here. But you know what? There's a lot of other things going on in my life that are pretty good, too. I make decent money. And actually, I'm known and respected here in the community. There's just a lot of things going my way these days. And you know what? Mr. Ross, you wouldn't like this at all. But if my kids turn out exactly like me, I would be fine with that. Now, I do want them to get up and go to church. I don't want anybody saying, I raised an atheist. I want them to go to church on Sunday, but I don't want them to be a nut about it. My friend, let me very gently say to you, 
It isn't going to turn out like you think at all. Because when those kids get out of your house and they are literally living however they want to, there's not going to be enough faith to hold them. And in college and young adulthood, they're going to be living just like the people that are lost. And eventually, after they take your grandkids through three messy divorces, you're going to say, this didn't turn out like I thought at all. I would have figured out how to get to DFW Airport yesterday, flown here, walked in and said two sentences, and flown home and felt like I made a good use of my time just to say this. The spiritual future of your children primarily hinges on the spiritual condition of your heart as a parent. God bless this church. It's above average. You know that. You've got above average leadership. That's clear. But my friend, that isn't the deal that's going to primarily determine the future of your kids in adulthood. It is the spiritual condition of your heart that will shape how they are going to live their adult lives. This whole issue of the heart has been interesting to me lately. In fact, I didn't intend to. I wasn't planning on sitting still so long. But I actually started looking, and before I knew it, I had sat in a chair for nine hours reading every verse where God spoke about the heart from Genesis to Revelation. Of course, I can't read all that to you, but I can read a little bit. Now, you can't turn in your Bible fast enough, so I want you just to listen. Just listen and absorb the words of Scripture. I want you to listen to the central issue the heart occupies in determining not only our lives, but even the lives of those coming behind us. Listen from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Deuteronomy. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Deuteronomy. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Psalms. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. From Psalms. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. From Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. From Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. From Jeremiah, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. From Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. From Matthew, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. From Mark, far from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. From Luke, 
The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Could it be any more clear? The issue is the condition of our hearts. Now, I know some of you, at the beginning of the message, thinking about the demonstration, some of you quickly, easily could identify, I know exactly where I should stand, but some of you are kind of processing that. So, so let's talk through this just a little bit. For some of you this morning, the real question is, would I be here or would I be here? In other words, am I spiritually lost from a relationship with God or do I know him? My friend, that's a fairly important question because that issue right there will dictate where you're going to spend eternity and probably those who come behind you. This isn't the focus of the message this morning, but I must say, if any of you are hoping for a relationship with God and especially an eternity with Him and you're depending on that because your granddaddy was a preacher or because you're a moral person and you keep your nose clean, or because you're not involved in a lot of immorality, or because you watch Fox News or whatever you're depending on to kind of say, surely I'm one of the good guys. I'm telling you, friend, that's not going to take you to heaven. And if you die, you're going to be tremendously distraught to discover I even went down to the Baptist church on Sunday even took my family and yet we are going to spend eternity separated from God I do think though for the vast majority of you the question mark this morning is would I be here or here when I preach similar to this in some churches sometimes even the senior saints of the church will walk up and say brother Richard no one has ever asked me are you a convert or are you a disciple? I had to really think through that issue this morning. And I think many of you adults would say, yes, that's kind of a new thought for me. Now, I want to ask you some very personal questions to help you determine where exactly would I be standing. But I do want to give you a caution. We Baptist people are big on checklists. We Baptist people are very big on externals. Please don't understand these questions I'm about to ask you to be an external that I've got to check off just so I can be acceptable to God. All I'm going to ask you is about some outside things that might allow you to detect the condition of your heart. That's all we're talking about is just the condition of your heart. But I wonder if this would help you know that condition. Number one. All of us could use a little extra sleep, correct? I mean, most of us would say, boy, if I could get a couple of extra minutes, wouldn't that be nice? So this is a very practical question. What seems more valuable to you of a morning? A couple of extra minutes of sleep or getting out of that bed, heading toward your favorite chair and spending some time worshiping the king of kings. Which of those two things seems more valuable to you? I'm not talking about saying grace over your post-toasties. That's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about extended, deep prayer 
to Jesus because you just can't imagine starting your day without that. Would you say that is something that is just perennially present at the beginning of your day or not? That will help you detect your heart. When you do pray, just think for a moment. Are most of your prayers asking Jesus to help you and yours out? Are they? Dear Jesus, here are my problems for today. You see, I speak in a different church every Sunday morning. And I am in the hallways going around, and I hear Bible study groups all over, and it's so common in a good Bible study group. This is appropriate, but it's so common for a teacher or a leader to say, do we have prayer requests today? Do you know what I call that period of prayer request in most Bible classes? I call it an organ recital. You know why? Because mostly we're reciting all of the organs we want Jesus to make better. My liver, my kidney, my gout. And after we finish reciting all of our organs, we just start reciting all of the organs of our friends and neighbors. It's mostly an organ recital. It's mostly, Jesus, here's what you can do to make my life easier and better. What about the Bible? When you get home with your Bible. For the next six days, does it pretty much lie undisturbed, or would you say, I am so in love with the author of Scripture that I am drawn back into the pages of Scripture over and over? Would that be true of you? Does it look interesting to you? Now, of course, we open our Bible in big church. Everybody kind of expects us to, but I'm asking you in your private life, does your heart draw you back into Scripture because you delight in the words of the king? What about your income? Teenagers, it might be an allowance. It might be something you earn. You adults, of course. When it's Saturday night or Sunday morning, is it joyful to you to take what you made the previous week and move that decimal place over one spot so that you can determine what your joy offering is going to be? Is that worshipful to you? Would you say, I love Jesus so much, it is a delight to take my little Social Security check and move that decimal? I love that because it's for Jesus. Or would you say, no, it's a drudgery. It's just one more bill I have to pay. It's club dues. If you're going to go to the club, you've got to pay the dues. That's all that is. No, that's not a joy to me. My friend, that tells you much about the condition of your heart. To kind of summarize, would you say, I go down to the church, I'm a part of this whole religious thing because I've got an idea that your life just turns out better if you do the religious thing. I just think if you go down there and keep your nose clean and you participate, I just think if my wife ever gets cancer, she's going to get well. I just think if I ever get laid off, I'll get a better job. I just think somehow if you kind of do the whole church deal, somehow my life will turn out better. Or would you say, this whole thing that I do down here, this whole deal, my worship, my service, this is all for the glory of King Jesus. Which of those two things would you say is more prominent in your life? Now, all that matters for your life, your life, adult primarily, 
But today, don't you see the issue? I'm talking to you about the generation coming behind you, and what I'm saying is, if this thing is mostly about me and my benefits, the generation coming after me will probably fall in my footsteps only one exception. We adults, let's just admit it, there are some social advantages to coming to the church house. There are some reasons why we adults think this is somehow a good thing to do. Even if our hearts are not full of this, we still come. Next generation, no. They can't think of any reason for going to church at 25 or 27 unless they are head over heels in love with Jesus. And the question I'm asking you is, are they going to get that out of your home? So what, what, what positive challenge can I give you? I've raised kind of the issue. What, what positive invitation can I give you? Threefold. My first challenge to each of you this morning is restore your first love in Jesus. I want to ask every one of you from 90 to 10, I want to ask every one of you a question. Can you remember a time in your life that you were closer to Jesus than you are this morning? I wonder if some of you adults would say, it was college for me. Oh my goodness, I was in one of those college ministry groups. Man, we were singing at night. We were out doing mission work together. It was during college that I was so close to Jesus. Or, or would some of you adults even say it was when I was a teenager? Some of you would say those sweaty old youth camps, some of those mission trips. I mean, we had experiences late at night, took us to heaven. What happened? We got busy, we got preoccupied. I just wonder, would any of you say there has been a season of my life when I was closer to Jesus than I am today? Well, you know, you, you read the Bible. When Jesus was speaking to the seven churches of Revelation, you know he spoke to one church and he said, boy, you're doing a lot of good things, but you have lost your first love in me. Come back to your first love. Do you know what happened 40 days after the resurrection? Do you know what happened 40 days after the resurrection? Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. I've stood exactly where he was standing he bid farewell to his followers, gave them a great challenge, and then the Bible says his body started going up, up, up into the sky. The Bible says that his body disappeared through the clouds, and usually our story ends there. What happened five minutes after Jesus rose from the Mount of Olives? What happened five minutes later? Do you know? The Bible says that the son walked in the front gate of heaven, and he comes down the center concourse, and his dad stood up and his dad said, Be enthroned at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The son was enthroned king of kings and lord of lords. This morning, Jesus is not sitting in the Middle East on a rock with giggling children in his lap. He's not walking around in a bathrobe. This morning, he is sitting on the throne of heaven. He is reigning king of kings and lord of lords. I'm asking each of you specifically, did you see him that way in your morning prayers this Sunday morning? When you're standing before the king, do you think 
He would look down from the throne, quiet the angels of heaven, give you permission to speak to him as the reigning king, and the first sentence out of your mouth would be, oh, I've got this little hangnail and three other problems. Maybe the issue is you remembering who he really is and restoring your love and your adoration for your king. Secondarily, as you restore your first love in Jesus, then be transparent about that in front of your kids. I guess it would be possible for you to fall back in love with the king of kings, but be so private that the kids never figure that out. Dad, let's say you're up early. You're in your favorite chair. You're reading scripture. You're having a wonderful time in prayer. And you find a verse that just thrills your soul. I would take that to breakfast. And you're just sitting there at the bar. And your high school daughter finally wakes up. And she comes in and you say, sweetheart, come here, come here, come here, come here. Lean over my shoulder. I was worshiping this morning and I found this verse. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. You know what I think? And actually, I think every youth worker in this auditorium is going to agree with me. I think that little scene right there is worth about 20 Sunday school lessons at church. You know why? Because that's my daddy. The most important man in my whole entire life. And I'm just figuring out that he's up worshiping every morning. And I'm figuring out it thrills him when Jesus reveals something new to him. I'm telling you that is a powerful moment. Number one, restore your first love in Christ. Number two, be transparent about it. Be willing to talk about your experience in Christ. Number three, you partner with this church anytime this church is offering to come along beside you in spiritually developing your kids. It, it changes your attention. Whereas a video announcement in the old days would have flown right past you, when you decide, I'm going to partner with these people, you see a video screen that says, hey, we're going to help parents this way, we're going to support parents this way, or we're going to mobilize families to go do mission work together, and you say, I'm all over that. I would love to partner with my church, me in primary position, but I'm going to partner with my church so that they can help and support me to rear a child that loves Jesus. And you make some hard decisions at times. You say, we could do A or we could do B. You know what? To see a child that would live for Christ, we're choosing B and not A. I preached on this in the early service, of course. And so I was behind the wall there during, in between services, and a thought just popped in my mind. And often when I have a thought, it ends up in Twitter or Facebook. This is what I did between services. Commandment number four, honor the Sabbath. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. A teenager. My church parents say I can break number four for club soccer, so I guess I can break number seven for prom. I make decisions at times to partner with my church to keep my kids right in the middle of everything a church is trying to do spiritually to see a generation grow up that would live or if need be die for the glory of Christ.
perish the thought. But someday ISIS is going to come to somebody's school and line teenagers or even children up to say, curse Jesus or lose your life. What are your kids going to do? I only have one living child. And it took us 16 years to conceive him. All kind of troubles. At noon, you'll hear more stories. But we have one living child. And his name is Clayton. And he's in his 20s since it took us so long to to get him here. Now, he's been sick for a, a little while. But before he was sick, he was repeatedly making trips to the countries where there's lots of Muslim people. He didn't particularly want to shoot them. He wanted to introduce them to Jesus. Clayton will sit up half the night and drink coffee with these young men. In fact, he'll take their copy of the Koran and just say, oh, there's Jesus right there. And so these guys, they don't know what they believe. Uh, And so they give their lives to Jesus. The last trip he went over before he got sick, the last trip he went over, things got tense. Now, he didn't tell me this till he got home. But he said, Dad, on the last day on our way to the airport, he said, Bad people turned our Jeep upside down and were throwing rocks. Okay, that does raise an issue in this dad's mind. On his next trip, what if there's something that goes wrong and his body comes home in a box? And your sweet pastor just, you know, mentions it during announcements on Sunday morning. Y'all remember... Tall guy from Texas, well, his son, you know, didn't make it. And you're thinking, you know, I've got business in Dallas anyway. There's an office I need to check in with. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and make that business trip and tie that to going to that funeral. And so you walk in. You walk in Wedgwood Baptist Church. You sit in the back. I want to promise you, if you're looking down on the second row watching me, you're going to see me crying pretty loud because I love my boy a lot. When he walks on our campus, he will walk halfway across the campus to give me a bear hug. I mean, the two of us are close. So at his funeral, I'm going to make some pretty good noise, but you know, after the service, if you just walk up to me and you say, Brother Richard, I can't explain this, can't explain it. But you came to North Carolina, and I don't know why, but I felt a connection with you. And the pastor mentioned your loss, and I had business in Dallas anyway, and so here I stand. Can I just ask you one question? Tell me honestly how you feel about the fact that you will never have a grandchild in your lap. You tell me honestly how you feel about the fact that Christmas for you, the rest of your life, is going to be handing your wife one present, she hands you a present, and you go to bed, and that's it forever. How do you feel about the fact that eventually nobody will come see you in hospice? How do you feel about all this? I can't promise you, but you know what I hope I will say? It is well with my soul. You know why I think that would be the thing to say? Because Clayton Allen Ross is on planet Earth for the glory of King Jesus. That's what he's doing down here. And if in this particular instance, the king decrees 
That particular boy is going to live 20 some odd years and then he's going to honor and glorify me by helping to plant the church on the blood of the martyrs. If that's the king's choice, how could I say anything other than it is well with my soul? Now the important point this morning is this. There is nothing special about Clayton at all. Every one of these young people, every one of these children, they are on planet earth for the glory of Jesus. The question is, when they hit 19 or 27, are they going to be living their lives, living out that wonderful plan and purpose created for them before the world began? Will they be doing that because they are in love with their king? Yes or no? And that question will be primarily answered by the spiritual condition of the hearts of moms and dads. I want you to bow your heads. Just bow your heads. Musicians, come. Man, it would have been easier to preach a little fluffy sermon on sweet families you would have given me a hug. It would have been so nice. Holy Spirit of God wouldn't allow that. Not today. And I do believe, because you have heard the truth, many of you are standing at a fork in the road. You are. And the issue is, am I going to step up and begin to spiritually lead my family? Am I going to speak the name of Jesus in my house? Am I going to talk about him? Am I going to show my family that I make decisions primarily based on the glory of Jesus above any other issue? Or am I just going to keep going like I'm going, be a good old Baptist? When push comes to shove, are my kids going to know that their delight in Christ is 18,000 times more important to me than trophies and scholarships? Will my daughter know her delight in Christ is 10,000 times more important to me than her getting roses on the 50-yard line? It's a fork in the road. Now, I know adult habits die hard. I know that. This isn't simple because for some of you, what I am saying this morning shakes you to the core because what I'm really doing is, is bringing into the light of day a way of living. It's not immoral. It's not horrible, nasty sin. It, but it is being a religious person who's just kind of trucking along, allowing certain elements in the world to trump delight in Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. Pastor Scott's going to be at the front, and some of you may need to speak to him. Certainly, if you want to know how to know God through Christ, you speak to your pastor and ask him how you can meet him. But I think a boatload of you don't need to speak to your pastor today. All you need to do is come to the front and kneel. And by kneeling, you pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. I've always loved you. You know that. But I just feel a need today to recommit myself to being the most important spiritual leader that my children have. I'm recommitting myself to say, God bless this church, but they are not in first position, I am. And I'm going to retake that role 
of spirituality in my family. If you happen to be married, if you and your spouse happen to feel the same way on this issue, you could come together. But I'm telling you, you precious single parents, some of you mothers that left a spouse in bed this morning, you just come courageously saying, if God will be my help, I will lead on to help my kids fall in love with Jesus. I will do that. I just think some of you would say, somehow by going to the front, it's a little bit more concrete and real, and I want to pray there before returning to my seat. Now, some of you are older. In fact, some of you might say, my real attention this morning is on my grandchildren. Well, if your knees don't kneel anymore, I'll just make this front pew part of the prayer altar this morning, and you just come as they did in the first service, and you sit on that front pew, and you pray for those grandkids in Arizona, and you just say, God being my help, they will know I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would orchestrate all that happens in the next few minutes. I pray this would all be for your honor and your glory. I do pray that some would take a new fork in the road and the spiritual future of their children would change because of it. Come, Lord Jesus, move us in a new direction. For your glory, I pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? Just stand. And if the Spirit invites you to come and pray, you come and pray.